اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم This surah comprises a number of discourses revealed between the later part of 3 after Hijri through to the end of 4 after Hijri, and possibly even the early part of 5 after Hijri. It is hard to determine precisely which verses belong to which discourse, just as it is difficult to fix the exact period of the revelation of those verses. Several of these verses, however, contain allusions to certain injunctions and events the dates of which can be ascertained with the help of traditions. On this basis, we can broadly divide the surah into a number of discourses. We know, for example, that the injunctions relating to inheritance and to the protection of the rights of orphans were revealed after the Battle of Uhud, in which 70 Muslims were martyred. The result of this was that the small town of Medina was faced with the problem of distributing inheritance and safeguarding the rights and interests of the orphans left behind by the martyrs. We can thus infer that verses 1 to 28 were revealed during this period. Traditions mention Salat al-Khawf, prayer in the state of insecurity, in connection with the battle of Zat al-Riqa, which took place in 4 after Hijri. So the section which contains directives regarding this prayer must have been revealed around this time. Likewise, we know that the expulsion of Banu An-Nazir from Medina took place in Rabi al-Awwal 4 after Hijri. It is therefore probable that the section which contains the final warning to the Jews, O you who have been granted the book, do believe in what we have now revealed which confirms the revelation which you already possess. Do this before we alter countenances turning them backwards. Surah An-Nisa 447 was revealed shortly before their expulsion. In the same way, the permission to do tayammum, symbolic ablution attained through wiping the face and hands with clean earth, in place of ablution was granted on the occasion of the battle of Banu al-Mustalik in 5 after Hijri. The section which deals with tayammum may therefore be taken as belonging to this period. See verses 43. Background and Subject Matter Let us now survey briefly the situation in order to appreciate more fully the contents of this surah. The tasks before the Prophet, peace be upon him, at this time may be classified into three broad categories. First, to develop the newly organized Islamic society which had come into being in and around Medina as a result of the influx of believers, a society which was attempting to give effect to new principles in the moral, social, economic and political spheres of life, and to do away with the old ways and practices of the days of ignorance, jahiliyyah. Second, to counter the fierce opposition of the polytheists, Jewish tribes and the hypocrites. Third, to spread the message of Islam in the face of hostility from these opposing forces and to win over the minds and hearts of the people. The various discourses revealed by God at this time deal with these different problems. The Islamic society at this juncture thus required additional directives to those which had received earlier and which are embodied in Surah Al-Baqarah. In the discourses of this surah, the Muslims are told in much greater detail how to mold their collective life in accordance with the dictates of Islam. They are told how to organize their family life. 
Regulations are laid down with respect to marriage, prohibiting union with certain categories of relatives. The pattern of relationships between men and women is enunciated. The rights of orphans are clearly defined. Laws for the distribution of inheritance are promulgated. Directives are issued to ensure that economic activities continue to be based on sound moral principles. Muslims are taught what measures to adopt to solve their family disputes. The foundations of a penal code are laid. The drinking of intoxicants is prohibited. Fresh directives are given to ensure purity of the heart as well as righteousness of conduct. Muslims are clearly told what man's attitude should be towards God and towards his creatures. Instructions are given to establish discipline within the Islamic body politic. The moral and religious attitude of the people of the book is criticized, thus warning the Muslims against following in the footsteps of the religious communities which preceded them. Likewise, the conduct of the hypocrites is criticized, thereby highlighting the requirements of true faith and clearly distinguishing the characteristics of true faith from those of hypocrisy. The struggle waged by the forces opposed to the Islamic reform movement assumed even more menacing proportions after the Battle of Uhud. The reverse suffered by the Muslims in that battle had infused a new spirit into the pagan Arab tribes, the neighboring Jews and also the hypocrites, who were an integral part of the Islamic body politic. The result was that the Muslims found themselves confronted by dangers from all sides. In such a circumstance, God urged the Muslims to meet these dangers bravely. He revealed inspiring passages and gave them instructions how to conduct themselves when faced with armed conflict. In Medina, the hypocrites and those of weak faith were disseminating all kinds of rumors so as to demoralize the Muslims. To counteract this, the Muslims were asked to pass on all such rumors to responsible people who were to prevent their further dissemination unless and until they could be confirmed after proper investigations. Let us take another case occasioned by these circumstances. The Muslims often had to go on military expeditions, sometimes with and sometimes without the Prophet, peace be upon him, and they often traveled by routes where water was unavailable. They were now told that it was permissible for them to resort to tayammum, symbolic ablution attained through wiping the face and hands with clean earth in place of both major and minor washing. Likewise, permission was granted to shorten prayers while traveling, and instructions were given on how to perform prayers when danger was imminent. At that time, some Muslims lived outside the Islamic realm and were scattered throughout Arabia living in the midst of pagan tribes. At times they were drawn into the orbit of war and thus suffered harm. This had become a matter of great anxiety for the Muslims, and the Islamic community was instructed in how to deal with it. At the same time, Muslims living in the midst of non-Muslim tribes were urged to migrate to Medina, the Dar al-Islam, the domain of Islam. The attitude of one Jewish tribe in particular, Banu al-Nazir, had become particularly hostile. Its people blatantly violated the agreements they had concluded with the Muslims and identified openly with the enemies of Islam by giving them support. They engaged in conspiracies and machinations against the Prophet, peace be upon him, and his followers even within the city of Medina. In this surah, their conduct is severely criticized and they are given a final warning in categorical terms. After this warning, they were expelled from Medina. 
The hypocrites comprised several groups, each of which behaved in a different manner so that it was difficult for the Muslims to decide how to deal with them. In this surah, the hypocrites are classified into separate categories, and the Muslims are told what treatment should be accorded to each group. They are also told what attitude they should adopt towards the neutral tribes which had entered into agreements with them. Most important of all, the Muslims are made to realize the necessity of developing blameless moral character, for if they were to triumph in their struggle, then this triumph would come about primarily through moral excellence. The Muslims are urged, therefore, to cultivate the highest moral qualities and are reproached severely for any past lapses. Another aspect of religious duty for the Muslims, preaching their faith and inviting people to share it with them, is also stressed. In addition to elaborating a blueprint for the moral and social reform envisaged by Islam in contradistinction to non-heavenly doctrines, Jahliya, the Surah criticizes the erroneous religious concepts and the moral perversion and corruption of the Jews, Christians, and polytheists and invites each of them to embrace Islam. In the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most compassionate. <laughs> وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا O people, fear your Lord who created you from a single being, and out of it created its mate, and out of the two spread many men and women. Fear Allah in whose name you plead for rights, and heed the ties of kinship. Surely, Allah is ever watchful over you. وَآتُوا الْيَتَامَا أَمْوَالَهُمْ وَلَا تَتَبَدَّلُوا الْخَبِيثَ بِالطَّيِّبِ وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ حُوبًا كَبِيرًا Give orphans their property, and do not exchange the bad for the good, and do not eat up their property by mixing it with your own. This surely is a mighty sin. وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تُقْسِقُوا فِي الْيَتَامَى فَانْكِحُوا مَا طَابَ لَكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ فَانْكِحُوا مَا طَابَ لَكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ مَثْنَى وَثُلَاثَ وَرُبَاعِ فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا فَوَاحِدَةً أَوْ مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ ذَلِكَ أَدْنَا أَلَّا تَعُولُوا If you fear that you might not treat the orphans justly, then marry the women that seem good to you, two or three or four, 
If you fear that you will not be able to treat them justly, then marry only one, or marry from among those whom your right hands possess. This will make it more likely that you will avoid injustice. Then marry the women that seem good to you, two or three or four. It should be noted that making polygamy lawful was not the real purpose of this verse, for polygamy was already in vogue in Arabia, and the Prophet, peace be upon him himself, had more than one wife when this verse was revealed. The real objection of its revelation was to help solve the problem of orphan children of Muslim martyrs, for it tells the Muslims that if they cannot give the orphans their due rights, they may marry women with orphan children. If you fear that you will not be able to treat them justly, then marry only one. Muslim jurists are agreed that according to this verse, the maximum number of wives has been fixed at four. This verse stipulates that marrying more wives than one is permissible on the condition that one treats one's wives equitably. A person who avails himself of this permission granted by God to have a plurality of wives and disregards the condition laid down by God to treat them equitably has not acted in good faith with God. In case there are complaints from wives that they are not being treated equitably, the Islamic State has the right to intervene and redress such grievances. Some people, who have been overwhelmed and overawed by the Christianized outlook of Westerners, have tried to prove that the real aim of the Qur'an was to put an end to polygamy, which, in their opinion, is intrinsically evil. Such arguments only show the mental bondage to which these people have succumbed. That polygamy is an evil per se is an unacceptable proposition, for under certain conditions it becomes a moral and social necessity. For this reason, the Qur'an has allowed those who feel the need for it to resort to polygamy. The Qur'an has expressed its permission of polygamy in quite categorical terms. Indeed, there is not the slightest hint in the Qur'an that could justify the conclusion that it advocates abolition of polygamy or marry from among those whom your right hands possess. This expression denotes slave girls. For instance, female captives of war who are distributed by the state among individuals when no exchange of prisoners of war takes place. Give women their bridal due in good cheer, considering it a duty. But if they willingly remit any part of it, consume it with good pleasure. وَلَا تُؤْتُوا السُّفَهَاءَ أَمْوَالَكُمُ الَّتِي جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ قِيَامًا وَارْزُقُوهُمْ فِيهَا وَارْزُقُوهُمْ فِيهَا وَاكْسُوهُمْ وَقُولُوا لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا do not entrust your properties, which Allah has made a means of support for you, to the weak of understanding, but maintain and clothe them out of it, and say to them a kind word of admonition. فَادْفَعُوا إِلَيْهِمْ أَمْوَالَهُمْ وَلَا تَأْكُلُوهَا إِسْرَافًا وَبِدَارًا أَنْ يَكْبَرُوا 
وَمَن كَانَ غَنِيًّا فَلْيَسْتَعْفِفْ وَمَن كَانَ فَقِيرًا فَلْيَأْكُلْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ فَإِذَا دَفَعْتُمْ إِلَيْهِمْ أَمْوَالَهُمْ فَأَشْهِدُوا عَلَيْهِمْ وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ حَسِيبًا Test the orphans until they reach the age of marriage, and then if you find them mature of mind, hand over to them their property, and do not eat it up by either spending extravagantly or in haste, fearing that they would grow up and claim it. If the guardian of the orphan is rich, let him abstain entirely from his ward's property, and if he is poor, let him partake of it in a fair measure. When you hand over their property to them, let there be witnesses on their behalf. Allah is sufficient to take account of your deeds. Test the orphans until they reach the age of marriage. When such people approach their majority, their mental development should be watched so as to determine to what extent they have become capable of managing their own affairs. And if he is poor, let him partake of it in a fair measure. The guardian is entitled to remuneration for his services. The amount of this remuneration should be one that is deemed fair by neutral and reasonable people. Moreover, the guardian is directed that he should take a fixed and known amount by way of remuneration, and he should take it openly rather than secretly, and that he should keep an account of it. Just as there is a share for men in what their parents and kinsfolk leave behind, so there is a share for women in what their parents and kinsfolk leave behind. Be it little or much, a share ordained by Allah, be it little or much. This verse embodies five legal injunctions. First, that women as well as men are entitled to inheritance. Second, that inheritance, however meager it might be, should be distributed. Third, that the law of inheritance is applicable to all kinds of property, movable and immovable, agricultural, industrial, and so on. Fourth, that the right of inheritance comes into force only after a person dies leaving some property behind him, but not while he is alive. Fifth, it implies the rule that immediate blood relatives exclude those that are further removed. This law has been further explained in verses 11 and 33. وَإِذَا حَضَرَ الْقِسْمَةَ أُولُو الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينُ فَارْزُقُوهُمْ مِنْهُ وَقُولُوا لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا And if other near of kin, orphans and needy are present at the time of division of inheritance, give them something of it and speak to them kindly. وَلْيَخْشَ الَّذِينَ لَوْ تَرَكُوا مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّةً ضِعَافًا خَافُوا عَلَيْهِمْ فَلْيَتَّقُوا اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَلْيَقُولُوا قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا 
And those who would have been fearful on account of their helpless offspring, they may have behind them. Let them fear Allah and say what is right. Behold, those who wrongfully devour the properties of orphans only fill their bellies with fire. Soon they will be burning in the blazing flame. يُوصِيكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي أَوْلَادِكُمْ لِلذَّكَرِ مِثْلُ حَظِّ الْأُنْسَيَيْنِ فَإِن كُنَّ نِسَاءً فَوْقَ اثْنَتَيْنِ فَلَهُنَّ ثُلُثَا مَا تَرَكَ وَإِن كَانَتْ وَاحِدَةً فَلَهَا النِّصْفِ وَلِأَبَوَيْهِ لِكُلِّ وَاحِدٍ مِّنْهُمَ السُّدُسُ مِمَّا تَرَكَ إِن كَانَ لَهُ وَلَدٍ فَإِن لَّمْ يَكُن لَّهُ وَلَدٌ وَوَرِثَهُ أَبَوَاهُ فَلِأُمِّهِ الثُّلُثُ فَإِن كَانَ لَهُ إِخْوَةٌ فَلِأُمِّهِ السُّدُسُ من بعد وصية يوصي بها أودين آباؤكم وأبناؤكم لا تدرون أيهم أقرب لكم نفعا فريضة من الله إن Thus does Allah command you concerning your children. The share of the male is like that of two females. If the heirs of the deceased are more than two daughters, they shall have two-thirds of the inheritance. And if there is only one daughter, then she shall have half the inheritance. If the deceased has any offspring, each of his parents shall have a sixth of the inheritance. And if the deceased has no child and his parents alone inherit him, then one-third shall go to his mother. And if the deceased has brothers and sisters, then one-sixth shall go to his mother. All these shares are to be given after payment of the bequest he might have made or any debts outstanding against him. You do not know which of them, your parents or your children, are more beneficial to you. But these portions have been determined by Allah, for He indeed knows everything, is cognizant of all beneficent considerations. The share of the male is like that of two females. Since Islamic law imposes greater financial obligations on men in respect of family life and relieves women of a number of such obligations, justice demands that a woman's share in inheritance should be less than that of a man. They shall have two-thirds of the inheritance. The same applies in the case where there are two daughters. If the deceased leaves behind only daughters, and if there are two or more daughters, then they will receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and the remaining one-third shall go to the other heirs. 
But if the deceased has only one son, there is consensus among jurists that in the absence of other heirs, he is entitled to all the property. But if the deceased has other heirs, he is entitled to the property left after their shares have been distributed. If the deceased has any offspring, each of his parents shall have a sixth of the inheritance. If the deceased leaves any issue, each of his parents will receive one-sixth of the inheritance, irrespective of whether the issue consists either only of daughters, only of sons, or of both sons and daughters, or just one son, or just one daughter. The remaining two-thirds will be distributed among the rest of the heirs. And if the deceased has no child and his parents alone inherit him, then one-third shall go to his mother. If there are no other heirs than the parents, the remaining two-thirds will go to the share of the father, otherwise two-thirds will be distributed between the father and the other heirs. And if the deceased has brothers and sisters, then one-sixth shall go to his mother. In the case where the deceased also has brothers and sisters, the share of the mother will be one-sixth rather than one-third. In this case, the sixth that was deducted from the share of the mother will be added to that of the father, for in this circumstance the father's obligations are heavier. It should be noted that if the parents of the deceased are alive, the brothers and sisters will not be entitled to any share in the inheritance. All these shares are to be given after payment of the bequest he might have made or any debts outstanding against him. The mention of bequest precedes the mention of debt but there is consensus among Muslims that the payment of debt takes precedence over the payment of bequest. For instance, if the deceased owes a debt and also leaves a bequest, the debt will first be paid out of the inheritance, and only then will his bequest be honored. فَإِن كَانَ لَهُنَّ وَلَدٌ فَلَكُمُ الرُّبُعُ مِمَّا تَرَكْنَ مِن بَعْدِ وَصِيَّةٍ يُوصِينَ بِهَا أَوْ دَيْنٍ وَلَهُنَّ الرُّبُعُ مِمَّا تَرَكْتُمْ إِن لَّمْ يَكُن لَّكُمْ وَلَدٌ فَإِن كَانَ لَكُمْ وَلَدٌ فَلَهُنَّ الثُّمُنُ مِمَّا تَرَكْتُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ وَصِيَّةٍ تُوصُونَ بِهَا أَوْ دَيْنٍ وَإِن كَانَ رَجُلٌ يُورَثُ كَلَالَةً أَوْ امْرَأَةٌ وَلَهُ أَخٌ أَوْ أُخْتٌ فَلِكُلِّ وَاحِدٍ فَلِكُلِّ وَاحِدٍ مِنْهُمَا السُّدُسُ فَإِن كَانُوا أَكْثَرَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ فَهُمْ شُرَكَاءُ فِي الثُّلُثِ مِنْ بَعْدِ وَصِيَّةٍ يُوصَى بِهَا أَوْ دَيْنٍ غَيْرَ مُضَارٍّ وَصِيَّةً مِنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَلِيمٌ And to you belongs half of whatever has been left behind by your wives if they die childless. 
But if they have any children, then to you belongs a fourth of what they have left behind, after payment of the bequest they might have made, or any debts outstanding against them. And to them belongs a fourth of what you leave behind, if you die childless. And if you have any child then, to them belongs one-eighth of what you have left behind. After the payment of the bequest you might have made, or any debts outstanding against you. And if the man or woman, whose inheritance is to be distributed, has no heir in the direct line, but has a brother or sister, then each of these shall inherit one-sixth. But if their number is more than that, then all of them shall be entitled to one-third of the inheritance after the payment of the bequest that might have been made or any debts outstanding against the deceased, providing that the bequest causes no injury. This is a commandment from Allah. Allah is all-knowing, all-forbearing. And if you have any child then, to them belongs one-eighth of what you have left behind. Whether a man has one wife or several wives, the share of the wife-wives is one-eighth of the inheritance when the deceased has any issue, and one-fourth when he has no issue. The share of the wives, whether one-fourth or one-eighth, will be distributed equally among them. But if their number is more than that of all of them shall be entitled to one-third of the inheritance, Quranic commentators are agreed that the sisters and brothers mentioned here mean half-brothers and half-sisters, for instance, those who have kinship with the deceased on the mother's side. Injunctions affecting full brothers and sisters and half-brothers and half-sisters on the father's side are mentioned towards the end of the present surah, providing that the bequest causes no injury. Bequests which cause injury are those that entail depriving the deserving kins of their legitimate rights. Similarly, the debt which causes injury is the fake debt which one falsely admits to owing, or any other device to which one resorts merely to deprive the rightful heirs of their shares in inheritance. <laughs> These are the bounds set by Allah. Allah will make him who obeys Allah and his messenger enter the gardens beneath which rivers flow. He will abide there forever. That is the mighty triumph. And he who disobeys Allah and his messenger and transgresses the bounds set by him, him shall Allah cause to enter the fire. There he will abide. A humiliating chastisement awaits him. Allah 
As for those of your women who are guilty of immoral conduct, call upon four from among you to bear witness against them. And if four men do bear witness, confine those women to their houses until either death takes them away or Allah opens some way for them. Punish both of those among you who are guilty of this sin. Then, if they repent and mend their ways, leave them alone. For Allah is ever ready to accept repentance, is all compassionate, is all compassionate. In these two verses, the first preliminary directives regarding punishment of unlawful sexual intercourse are stated. Later, another injunction was revealed, which laid down that both the male and female involved in this act should be given a hundred lashes. And remember that Allah's acceptance of repentance is only for those who commit evil out of ignorance and then soon repent. It is towards such persons that Allah turns graciously. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. But of no avail is the repentance of those who do evil until death approaches any of them. And then he says, Now I repent. Nor is the repentance of those who die in the state of unbelief of any avail to them. For them we have kept in readiness a painful chastisement. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا يَحِلُّ لَكُمْ أَن تَرِثُوا النِّسَاءَ كَرْهًا وَلَا تَعْبُلُوهُنَّ لِتَذْهَبُوا بِبَعْضِ مَا آتَيْتُمُوهُنَّ إِلَّا إِلَّا أَن يَأْتِينَ بِفَاحِشَةٍ مُبَيِّنَةٍ وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ فَإِنْ كَرِهْتُمُوهُنَّ فَعَسَىٰ أَنْ تَكْرَهُوا شَيْئًا فَعَسَىٰ أَنْ تَكْرَهُوا شَيْئًا وَيَجْعَلَ اللَّهُ فِيهِ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا 
Believers, it is not lawful for you to become heirs to women against their will. It is not lawful that you should put constraint upon them, so that you may take away anything of what you have given them. You may not put constraint upon them, unless they are guilty of brazenly immoral conduct. Live with your wives gracefully. If you dislike them in any manner, it may be that you dislike something in which Allah has placed much good for you. Believers, it is not lawful for you to become heirs to women against their will. This means that the relatives of the husband should not treat the widow of the deceased as if she were a part of the inheritance and begin imposing their will upon her. Upon the death of her husband, a woman becomes independent. As soon as her legally prescribed period of waiting ends, she is free to go wherever she likes and to marry anyone she wishes to. You may not put constraint upon them. This injunction is not meant to provide people with an excuse to grab the property of their wives. Instead, the purpose is to enable them to put constraint upon them if they are guilty of brazenly immoral conduct. وَإِنْ أَرَدْتُمُ اسْتِبْدَالَ زَوْجٍ مَكَانَ زَوْجٍ وَآتَيْتُمْ إِحْدَاهُنَّ قِنْطَارًا فَلَا تَأْخُذُوا مِنْهُ شَيْئًا أَتَأْخُذُونَهُ بُهْتَانًا وَإِثْمًا مُبِينًا And if you decide to dispense with a wife in order to take another, do not take away anything of what you might have given the first one. Even if you had given her a heap of gold, would you take it back by slandering her and committing a manifest wrong? How can you take it away after each one has enjoyed the other and they have taken a firm covenant from you? وَلَا تَنْكِحُوا مَا نَكَحَ آبَاؤُكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ إِلَّا مَا قَدْ سَلَفْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَمَقْتًا وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا Do not marry the women whom your fathers married, although what is past is past. This indeed was a shameful deed, a hateful thing, and an evil way. Do not marry the women whom your fathers married, although what is past is past. It does not mean that if a man had married his stepmother during the days of ignorance, he can maintain the matrimonial relationship with her even after the revelation of this prohibitory injunction. What it rather means is that the children born of such previously contracted marriage will not be considered illegitimate after the promulgation of this injunction and will not be disinherited. A hateful thing and an evil way. In Islamic law, marrying women who fall in the prohibited degrees of marriage is a recognized criminal offense. حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أُمَّهَاتُكُمْ وَبَنَاتُكُمْ وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ وَعَمَّاتُكُمْ وَخَالَاتُكُمْ وَبَنَاتُ الْأَخِ وَبَنَاتُ الْأُخْتِ وَأُمَّهَاتُكُمُ اللَّاتِ أَرْضَعْنَكُمْ وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ مِنَ الرَّضَاعَةِ 
وأخواتكم من الرضاعة وأمهات نسائكم وربائبكم التي في حجوركم وربائبكم التي في حجوركم من نسائكم التي دخلتم بهن فإن لم تكونوا دخلتم بهن فإن لم تكونوا دخلتم بهن فلا جناح عليكم وحلائل أبنائكم الذين من أصلابكم وأن تجمعوا بين الأختين إلا ما قد سلف إن الله كان غفورا رحيما Forbidden to you are your mothers, your daughters, your sisters, your father's sisters, and your mother's sisters, your brother's daughters, and your sister's daughters, your milk mothers, your milk sisters, the mothers of your wives, and the stepdaughters, who are your foster children, born of your wives, with whom you have consummated the marriage. But if you have not consummated the marriage with them, there will be no blame upon you if you marry their daughters. It is also forbidden for you to take the wives of the sons who have sprung from your loins, and to take two sisters together in marriage, although what is past is past. Surely, Allah is all-forgiving, all-compassionate. Forbidden to you are your mothers. The word mother applies to one's stepmother as well as to one's real mother. Hence, the prohibition extends to both. This injunction also includes prohibition of the grandmother, both paternal and maternal. Your daughters. The injunction with regard to daughters also applies to granddaughters on both the paternal and maternal sides. Your sisters. This applies to full sisters as well as to half-sisters. Your father's sisters and your mother's sisters. Your brother's daughters and your sister's daughters. In all these relationships, no distinction is made between the full and step relationships. Your milk mothers, your milk sisters. There is consensus among Muslims that if a boy or girl is breastfed by a woman, that woman attains the status of mother and her husband the status of father. It is forbidden to marry relatives through milk feeding in the same way as marriage is forbidden with relatives through one's real mother and real father. Not only is the foster mother's child who was taken suck along with the foster child forbidden for him, but all the children of the foster mother are just like real brothers and sisters, and their children are for him just like his real nephews. The mothers of your wives and the stepdaughters who are your foster children. This prohibitive restriction in regarding to such girls is not based on the consideration of their having been brought up in the house of a stepfather. The jurists are almost unanimous that it is prohibited to marry one stepdaughter irrespective of whether or not she has been raised in the stepfather's house, born of your wives with whom you have consummated the marriage. But if you have not consummated the marriage with them, there will be no blame upon you if you marry their daughters. It is also forbidden for you to take the wives of the sons who have sprung from your loins. Like the wife of one's own son, the wives of grandsons, both paternal and maternal, are prohibited to grandfathers on both the mother's and father's side, and to take two sisters together in marriage. 
The Prophet, peace be upon him, has taught that it is prohibited for a man to combine in marriage an aunt, whether paternal or maternal, with her niece. The guiding principle is that it is prohibited to have as wives two women who, if one of them were a male, would be prohibited to each other. Although what is past is past, surely Allah is all-forgiving, all-compassionate. This is an assurance that God would not call them to task for such misdeeds of the Jahliya period as combining two sisters in matrimony. For this reason, if a man has two sisters as his wives, he is required to divorce one of them when he embraces Islam. وَأُحِلَّ لَكُمْ مَا وَرَاءَ ذَلِكُمْ أَن تَبْتَغُوا بِأَمْوَالِكُمْ مُحْصِنِينَ غَيْرَ مُسَافِحِينَ فَمَا اسْتَمْتَعْتُمْ بِهِ مِنْهُنَّ فَآتُوهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ فَرِيضَةً وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِيمَا تَرَاضَيْتُمْ بِهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ الْفَرِيضَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Also forbidden to you are all married women, muhsanat, except those women whom your right hands have come to possess as a result of war. This is Allah's decree and it is binding upon you. But it is lawful for you to seek out all women except these, offering them your wealth and the protection of wedlock, rather than using them for the unfettered satisfaction of lust. And give bridal due of those whom you have enjoyed in wedlock as an obligation. But there is no blame on you if you mutually agree to alter the settlement after it has been made. Surely, Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. Also forbidden to you are all married women, Mohsanat, except those women whom your right hands have come to possess as a result of war. Women who come as captives of war, leaving their husbands behind in Darul Harb, domain of war, are not prohibited, for their marriage is nullified by the virtue of their entry into Darul Islam, domain of Islam. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ مِنْكُمْ طَوْلًا أَنْ يَنْتِحَ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ فَمِمَّا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ فَمِمَّا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ مِنْ فَتَيَاتِكُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِإِيمَانِكُمْ بَعْضُكُمْ مِنْ فَإِذَا أُحْصِنَّ فَإِنْ أَتَيْنَ بِفَاحِشَةٍ فَعَلَيْهِنَّ نِصْفُ مَا عَلَى الْمُحْصَنَاتِ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ خَشِيَ الْعَنَتَ مِنْكُمْ 
And those of you who cannot afford to marry free believing women, most are not, let them marry such believing women whom your right hands possess. Allah knows all about your faith. All of you belong to one another. Marry them then with the leave of their guardians and give them their bridal due in a fair manner that they may live in the protection of wedlock rather than be either mere objects of unfettered lust or given to secret love affairs. Then, if they become guilty of immoral conduct after they have entered into wedlock, they shall be liable to half the penalty to which free women, Mohsenat, are liable. This relaxation is for those of you who fear falling into sin by remaining unmarried. But if you persevere, it is better for you. Allah is all-forgiving, all-compassionate. They shall be liable to half the penalty to which free women, Mohsenat, are liable. In verses 24 to 5, the term Musanat, protected women, is used in two different meanings. First, it is used in the sense of married women, that is, those who enjoy the protection of their husbands. Second, it is used in the sense of women belonging to families, for instance, those who enjoy the protection of their families, even though they may not be married. In the verse under discussion, the word Mosanat is used in the latter sense, for instance, in the sense of women who enjoy the protection of their families as opposed to slave girls. At the same time, the word is also used in the first meaning, when slave girls have acquired the protection accorded by the contract of marriage. In that case, they will be liable to the punishment laid down in this verse if they are guilty of unlawful sexual intercourse. Allah wants to make all this clear to you and to guide you to the ways which the righteous have followed in the past. He will graciously turn towards you. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. Wallahu yuridu Allah indeed wants to turn graciously towards you, but those who follow their lusts would want you to drift far away from the right way. Allah wants to lighten your burdens, for man was created weak. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ إِلَّا إِلَّا أَن تَكُونَ تِجَارَةً عَن تَرَاضٍ مِّنْكُمْ وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Believers, do not devour one another's possessions wrongfully. 
Rather, let there be trading by mutual consent, and do not kill yourselves. Surely, Allah is ever compassionate to you. Rather, let there be trading by mutual consent. The expression wrongfully embraces all transactions which are opposed to righteousness and which are either legally or morally reprehensible. Mutual consent means that the exchange should be free of undue pressure, fraud, and deception. And do not kill yourselves. This can be considered either as complementary to the preceding statement or as an independent statement. If it is complementary, it means that to consume the property of others by wrongful means is tantamount to courting one's destruction. Taken as an independent statement, it would mean either that one should not kill others or that one should not kill oneself. And whoever does this by way of transgression and injustice, we shall surely cast him into the fire. That indeed is quite easy for Allah. But if you avoid the major sins which you have been forbidden, we shall remit your trivial offenses and cause you to enter an honorable abode. وَلَا تَتَمَنَّوْا مَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَعْضَكُمْ عَلَى بَعْضٍ لِلْرِّجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا اكْتَسَبُوا وَلِلنِّسَاءِ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا اكْتَسَبْنَ وَاسْأَلُوا اللَّهَ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمًا Do not covet what Allah has conferred more abundantly on some of you than others. Men shall have a share according to what they have earned, and women shall have a share according to what they have earned. Do ask Allah for His bounty. Allah has full knowledge of everything. وَالَّذِينَ عَقَدَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ فَآتُوهُمْ نَصِيبَهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدًا To everyone we have appointed rightful heirs to inherit whatever the parents and near of kin might leave behind. As to those with whom you have made a solemn covenant, give them their share. Allah watches over all things. As to those with whom you have made a solemn covenant, give them their share. Allah watches over all things. According to the customary law of Arabia, those who concluded compacts of an alliance and friendship also became mutual heirs. Likewise, an adopted son inherited from his foster father. While abrogating this customary law, This verse reveals that inheritance goes to one's kin according to the rules for the distribution of inheritance laid down by God Himself.
However, if a man has made commitments to people, he has the right to give away to them whatever he wishes during his lifetime. الرجال قوامون على النساء بما فضل الله بعضهم على بعض وبما أنفقوا من أموالهم فالصالحات قانتات حافظات للغيب بما حفظ الله واللاتي تخافون نشوزهن فعظوهن واهجروهن في المضاجع واضربوهن فإن أطعنكم فلا تبغوا عليهن سبيلا إن الله كان عليا كبيرا Men are the protectors and maintainers of women, because Allah has made one of them excel over the other, and because they spend out of their possessions to support them. Thus, righteous women are obedient and guard the rights of men in their absence under Allah's protection. As for women of whom you fear rebellion, admonish them and remain apart from them in beds and beat them. Then, if they obey you, do not seek ways to harm them. Allah is the exalted, the great. Men are the protectors and maintainers of women. A qawwam or qayyim is a person responsible for administering and supervising the affairs of either a person or an organization or a system responsible for protecting and safeguarding them and providing for the needs of those under his supervision. As for women of whom you fear rebellion, admonish them and remain apart from them in beds and beat them. This does not mean that a man should resort to these three measures all at once, but that they may be employed if a wife adopts an attitude of obstinate defiance. So far as the actual application of these measures is concerned, there should naturally be some correspondence between the fault and the punishment that is administered. Moreover, it is obvious that wherever a light measure can prove effective, one should not resort to stern measures. Whenever the Prophet, peace be upon him, permitted a man to administer corporal punishment to his wife, he did so with great reluctance and continued to express his utter distaste for it. وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ شِقَاقَ بَيْنِهِمَا فَبَعَثُوا حَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا فَبَعَثُوا حَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا إِنْ يُرِيدَا إِصْلَاحًا يُوَفِّقِ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمَا If you fear a breach between the two, appoint an arbitrator from his people and an arbitrator from her people. And if they both want to set things right, Allah will bring about reconciliation between them. Allah is all-knowing, all-aware. And if they both want to set things right, The statement, if they both want to set things right, may be interpreted as referring either to the mediators or to the spouses concerned. 
Every dispute can be resolved provided the parties concerned desire reconciliation, and the mediators too are keen to remove the misunderstandings between them and to bring them together. وبالوالدين إحسانا وبذي القربى واليتامى والمساكين والجار ذي القربى والجار الجنب والصاحب بالجنب وابن السبيل وما ملكت أيمانكم إن الله لا يحب من كان مختالا فخورا سرب الله and ascribe no partner to him. Do good to your parents, to near of kin, to orphans, and to the needy, and to the neighbor who is of kin, and to the neighbor who is a stranger, and to the companion by your side, and to the wayfarer, and to those whom your right hands possess. Allah does not love the arrogant and the boastful, and to the companion by your side. The expression, As-sahib bil the companion by your side embraces those with whom one has a friendly relations of an abiding nature, as well as those with whom one's relationship is transient. For instance, either the person who walks beside one on the way to the market, or who sits beside one while buying things from the same shop, or one's fellow traveler. Even this temporary relationship imposes certain claims on every refined and decent person that he should treat the latter as far as possible in a kind and gracious manner and avoid causing him any discomfort. الَّذِينَ يَبْخَلُونَ وَيَأْمُرُونَ النَّاسَ بِالْبُخْلِ وَيَكْتُمُونَ مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَأَعْتَدْنَا لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابًا مُهِينًا who are niggardly, and bid others to be niggardly, and conceal the bounty which Allah has bestowed upon them. We have kept in readiness a humiliating chastisement for such deniers of Allah's bounty. وَمَنْ يَكُنِ الشَّيْطَانُ لَهُ قَرِيْنًا فَسَاءَ قَرِيْنًا Allah does not love those who spend out of their wealth to make a show of it to people, when in fact they neither believe in Allah nor in the last day. And he who has taken Satan for a companion has indeed taken for himself a very bad companion. وَمَاذَا عَلَيْهِمْ لَوْ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَنْفَقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَهُمُ اللَّهِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِهِمْ عَلِيمًا What harm would have befallen them if they had believed in Allah and the last day and spent on charity what Allah had bestowed upon them as sustenance? For Allah indeed has full knowledge of them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَظْلِمُ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّهُ وَإِن تَكُ حَسَنَةً يُضَاعِفْهَا وَيُؤْتِ مِنْ لَدُنْهُ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Indeed, Allah wrongs none, not even as much as an atom's weight. 
whenever a man does good, he multiplies it twofold and bestows out of it his grace, a mighty reward. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِن كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَؤُلَاءِ شَهِيدًا Consider then, when we shall bring forward witnesses from every community, and will bring you, O Muhammad, peace be upon him, as a witness against them all. Those who disbelieved and disobeyed the Messenger will wish on that day that the earth were leveled with them. They will not be able to conceal anything from Allah. يا ايها الذين امنوا لا تقربوا الصلاه وانتم سكارى حتى تعلموا ما تقولون حتى تعلموا ما تقولون ولا جنبا الا عابري سبيل حتى تغتسلوا وَإِن كُنتُم مَّرْضَىٰ أَوْ عَلَىٰ سَفَرٍ أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنكُم مِّنَ الْغَائِطِ أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنكُم مِّنَ الْغَائِطِ أَوْ لَامَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا أَوْ لَامَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً فَتَيَمَّمُوا صَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا فَامْسَحُوا بِوُجُوهِكُمْ وَأَيْدِيكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَفُوًّا غَفُورًا Believers Do not draw near to the prayer while you are intoxicated, until you know what you are saying, nor when you are defiled, save when you are traveling, until you have washed yourselves. If you are either ill or traveling, or have satisfied a want of nature, or have had contact with women and can find no water, then betake yourselves to pure earth, passing with it lightly over your face and your hands. Surely, Allah is all-relenting, all-forgiving. Believers, do not draw near to the prayer while you are intoxicated. This is the second in the chronological sequence of injunctions concerning intoxicants. We have already come across the first injunction in Surah Al-Baqarah 2-219. Until you know what you are saying, What is required is that while praying, one should at least be conscious enough to know what one is uttering in the prayer. Nor when you are defiled. The term Janaba denotes the state of major ritual impurity which results from the act of sexual intercourse or from seminal emission, ensuing either from sexual stimulation or from a wet dream. Until you have washed yourselves. A group of jurists and Quranic commentators interprets this verse to mean that one should not enter a mosque in the state of major ritual impurity, Janaba, unless it be out of necessity. 
Another group thinks that the reference here is to travel. In the opinion of this group, if a traveler is in the state of major ritual impurity, he may resort to tayammum, for instance, symbolic ablution attained through wiping the hands and face with clean earth. If you are either ill or traveling, or have satisfied a want of nature, or have had contact with women, there is disagreement as to what is meant here by the verb lamastum. Several jurists are of the opinion that it signifies sexual intercourse. Abu Hanifa and his school follow this view. Contrary to this, some other jurists hold that it merely signifies the act of touching. This is the opinion adopted by Shafi. Malik is of the opinion that if a man and a woman touch each other with sexual desire, their ablution is nullified. He sees nothing objectionable, however, in the mere act of a man touching a woman's body or vice versa, provided the act is not motivated by sexual desire and can find no water, then betake yourselves to pure earth, passing with it lightly over your face and your hands. The detailed rules of Tayammum are as follows. A man who either needs to perform ablution or take a bath to attain the state of purity for ritual prayer may resort to Tayammum provided water is not available to him. Permission to resort to Tayammum rather than make ablution with water or take a bath is also extended to invalids, whose health is likely to be harmed by the use of water. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ يَشْتَرُونَ الضَّلَالَةَ وَيُرِيدُونَ أَن تَضِلُّ السَّبِيلِ Have you not seen those to whom a portion of the book was given? They purchased error for themselves and wish that you too lose the right way. وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِأَعْدَائِكُمْ وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَلِيًّا وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ نَصِيرًا Allah knows your enemies better and Allah suffices as a protector and Allah suffices as a helper. مِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَمْ مَوَاضِعِهِ وَيَقُولُونَ سَمِعْنَا وَعَصَيْنَا وَاسْمَعْ غَيْرَ مُسْمَعْ وَاسْمَعْ غَيْرَ مُسْمَعٍ وَرَاعِنَا لَيًّا بِأَلْسِنَتِهِمْ وَطَعْنًا فِي الدِّينِ وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ قَالُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا وَاسْمَعْ وَانْظُرْنَا لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ وَأَقْوَمَ وَلَكِنْ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ وَلَكِنْ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِكُفْرِهِمْ فَلَا يُؤْمِنُونَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا among those who have become Jews, there are some who alter the words from their context and make a malicious play with their tongues and seek to revile the true faith. They say, we have heard and we disobey. Do hear us, may you turn dumb and hearken to us. It would indeed have been better for them and more upright if they had said, We have heard and we obey. Samiana wa atlana. And do listen to us and look at us with kindness. Isma wanzurna. But Allah has cursed them because of their unbelief. Scarcely do they believe. 
Among those who have become Jews, there are some who alter the words from their context. This signifies three things. First, that they tampered with the text of the scripture. Second, that they misinterpreted the scripture and thereby distorted the meanings of the verses of the book. Third, they came and stayed in the company of the prophet, peace be upon him, and his companions, and listened to the conversations which took place there, then went to other people and misreported what they had heard. They say, We have heard and we disobey. When God's commands are announced to such people, they loudly proclaim, Yes, we heard. But then they whisper, and we disobeyed, wa Or else they pronounce atana, we obey, with such a twist of the tongue that it becomes indistinguishable from asena. Do hear us, may you turn dumb. Ismagher musmain. Whenever they wanted to say something to the Prophet, peace be upon him, they would say, Isma. Listen. But they added to this the expression, musmain, which had several meanings. It could either be a polite expression, meaning that he was worthy of such deep respect that one should say nothing to his dislike, or it could have a malicious implication, meaning that he did not deserve to be addressed by anybody. It also meant the imprecation, May God turn you deaf. And hearken to us, Ra'ina. When the Jews visited the Prophet, peace be upon him, they tried to vent their spite by using ambiguous expressions in their greetings and conversation. They used words which had double meanings, one innocent and the other offensive. The particular expression referred to here, which the Muslims were asked to avoid using since it lent itself to abuse, was employed by the Jews when they conversed with the Prophet, peace be upon him. Whenever they wanted to request a short pause in which to finish whatever they wanted to say, they used the expression, Raina which meant kindly indulge us or kindly lend your ear to us. It is, however, because of the possibility of the word also being used in other meanings, some of which were evil and irreverential, that Muslims were asked to avoid it, and to use instead the straightforward expression anzurna, meaning kindly favor us with your attention or kindly grant us a moment to follow what you are saying. يا أيها الذين أوتوا الكتاب آمنوا بما نزلنا مصدقا لما معكم من قبل أن نطمس وجوها فنردها فنردها على أدبارها أو نلعنهم كما لعنا أصحاب السبت وكان أمر الله مفعولا O you who have been granted the book, do believe in what we have now revealed, which confirms the revelation which you already possess. Do this before we alter countenances, turning them backwards, or lay a curse upon them as we curse the Sabbath men. Bear in mind that Allah's command is done. Surely, 
Allah does not forgive that a partner be ascribed to him, although he forgives any other sins for whomever he wills. He who associates anyone with Allah in his divinity has indeed forged a mighty lie and committed an awesome sin. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ يُزَكُّونَ أَنفُسَهُمْ بَلِ اللَّهُ يُزَكِّي مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَلَا يُظْلَمُونَ فَتِيلًا Have you not seen those who boast of their righteousness, even though it is Allah who grants righteousness to whomsoever He wills? They are not wronged, even as much as the husk of a date stone. If they are not granted righteousness. See how they forge lies about Allah. This in itself is a manifest sin. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْجِبْتِ وَالطَّاغُوتِ وَيَقُولُونَ وَيَقُولُونَ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا هَؤُلَاءِ أَهْدَى مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا سَبِيلًا Have you not seen those to whom a portion of the book was given? They believe in baseless superstitions, and tarut, false deities, and say about the unbelievers that they are better guided than those who believe. They believe in baseless superstitions. Jit signifies a thing devoid of any true basis and bereft of all usefulness. In Islamic terminology, the various forms of sorcery, divination, and soothsaying, in short, all superstitions are termed jibd. And tarut, false deities. For an explanation, see Surah Al-Baqarah 2-256 notes 89-90 above. And say about the unbelievers that they are better guided than those who believe. In this verse, the word unbelievers means those people in Arabia who associated others with God in His divinity. Such are the ones whom Allah has cursed, and he whom Allah curses has none to come to His help. أَمْ لَهُمْ نَصِيبٌ مِّنَ الْمُلْكِ فَإِذَا لَا يُؤْتُونَ النَّاسَ نَقِيرًا Have they any share in the dominion of Allah? Had that been so, there would never have been granted people even as much as a speck on a date stone. أَمْ يَحْسُدُونَ النَّاسَ عَلَى مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ فَقَدْ آتَيْنَا آلَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَآتَيْنَاهُمْ مُلْكًا عَظِيمًا Do they envy others for the bounty that Allah has bestowed upon them? Let them bear in mind that we bestowed upon the house of Abraham, peace be upon him, the book and wisdom, and we bestowed upon them a mighty dominion. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ آمَنَ بِهِ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ صَدَّ عَنْهِ 
Whereupon some of them believed, and others turned away. As for those who turn away, hell suffices for a blaze. Hell suffices for a blaze. This is in response to the malicious remarks of the Israelites. What is being said is that they had no justified reason to feel jealous, since both the Israelites and Ishmaelites were offspring of the same Abraham, peace be upon him. Now, the leadership of the world had been promised only to those children of Abraham, peace be upon him, who followed the book and wisdom revealed by God. The book and wisdom had been sent down earlier to the Israelites, and to their discredit they turned away from them. The same book and wisdom had now been made available to the Ishmaelites, and they had decided to receive it with faith and gratitude. Surely, we shall cast those who reject our signs into the fire, and as often as their skins are burnt out, we shall give them other skins in exchange that they may fully taste the chastisement. Surely, Allah is Almighty, All-Wise. And those who believe and do good deeds, we shall cause them to enter the gardens beneath which rivers flow. There they shall abide forever. There they shall have spouses purified, and there we shall cause them to enter a shelter with plenteous shade. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تُؤَدُّوا الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَن تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ نِعِمَّا يَعِظُكُمْ بِهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Allah commands you to deliver trusts to those worthy of them, and when you judge between people, judge with justice. Excellent is the admonition Allah gives you. Allah is all-hearing, all-seeing, and when you judge between people, judge with justice. Here the Muslims are forewarned against the evils which had afflicted the Israelites. One of the fundamental mistakes committed by the Israelites was that in the time of their decadence, they had handed over positions of trust, i.e. religious and political leadership, to incompetent, mean, immoral, dishonest, and corrupt persons. The result was that corruption spread throughout the nation. The Muslims are being directed to take heed of this and to entrust positions of responsibility only to those who are capable of shouldering the burden of such positions.
The major weakness of the Israelites was that they had completely lost their sense of justice. They pursued either personal or national interests at the cost of honesty, equity, reasonableness, and good faith. After informing the Muslims of the iniquity of the Jews, God now warns them against committing similar injustices. They should rather declare what is right in the face of friend and foe alike and judge between people and justice and equity. Believers, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those invested with authority among you. And then, if you were to dispute among yourselves about anything, refer it to Allah and the Messenger. If you indeed believe in Allah and the last day, that is better and more commendable in the end. And then, if you were to dispute among yourselves about anything, refer it to Allah and the Messenger. This verse is the cornerstone of the entire religious, social, and political structure of Islam, and the very first clause of the constitution of an Islamic state. It lays down the following principles as permanent guidelines. A. In the Islamic order of life, God alone is the focus of loyalty and obedience. A Muslim is the servant of God before anything else. B. Another basic principle of the Islamic order of life is obedience to the Prophet, peace be upon him. C. In the Islamic order of life, the Muslims are further required to obey their fellow Muslims invested with authority. These include all those entrusted with directing Muslims in matters of common concern. Hence, persons invested with authority include the intellectual and political leaders of the community, as well as administrative officials, judges of the courts, tribal chiefs, and regional leaders. D. In an Islamic order, the injunctions of God and the way of the Prophet, peace be upon him, constitute the basic law and paramount authority in all matters. Whenever there is any dispute among Muslims or between the rulers and the ruled, the matter should be referred to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and all concerned should faithfully accept the judgment that is thus arrived at. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ يَزْعُمُونَ أَنَّهُمْ آمَنُوا بِمَا أُنْزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنْزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ يُرِيدُونَ يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَحَاكَمُوا إِلَى الطَّاغُوتِ وَقَدْ أُمِرُوا O Messenger, have you not seen those who claim to believe in the book which has been revealed to you and in the books revealed before you and yet desire to submit their disputes to the judgment of Tahut? the satanic authorities who decide independently of the law of Allah, whereas they had been asked to reject it. Satan seeks to make them drift far away from the right path, whereas they had been asked to reject it. 
Dahut clearly signifies here a sovereign who judges things according to criteria other than the law of God. It also stands for a legal and judicial system which acknowledges neither the sovereignty of God nor the paramount authority of God's book. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ تَعَالَوْا إِلَى مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ وَإِلَى الرَّسُولِ رَأَيْتَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يَصُدُّونَ عَنْكَ صُدُودًا When they are told, come to that which Allah has revealed, and come to the messenger, you will notice the hypocrites turning away from you in aversion. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ ثُمَّ جَاءُوكَ ثُمَّ جَاءُوكَ يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَدْنَا إِلَّا إِحْسَانًا وَتَوْفِيقًا But what happens when some misfortune visits them because of their own misdeeds? Then they come to you swearing by Allah, saying, We wanted nothing but to do good and to create harmony between the two parties. <laughs> فَأَعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ وَعِظْهُمْ وَقُلْ لَهُمْ فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ قَوْلًا بَلِيغًا As for them, Allah knows what is in their hearts. Leave them alone, admonish them, and say to them penetrating words about themselves. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا لِيُطَاعَ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ إِذْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ جَاءُوكَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا اللَّهِ جَاءُوكَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا اللَّهَ And tell them that we never sent a messenger, but that he should be obeyed by the leave of Allah. If whenever they wronged themselves, they had come to you praying to Allah for forgiveness, and had the messenger prayed for their forgiveness, they would indeed have found Allah all forgiving, all compassionate. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِّمَّا قَضَيْتَ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا But no, by your Lord, they cannot become true believers until they seek your arbitration in all matters on which they disagree among themselves. And then do not find the least vexation in their hearts over your judgment, and accept it in willing submission. وَلَوْ أَنَّا كَتَبْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ أَنِ اقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ أَوْ اخْرُجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ مَا فَعَلُوهُ مَا فَعَلُوهُ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ مِّنْهُمْ وَلَوْ أَنَّ 
انهم فعلوا ما يوعظون به لكان خيرا لهم لكان خيرا لهم واشد تثبيتا had we enjoined upon them slay yourselves or leave your habitations very few of them would have done it yet if they had done as they were admonished it would have been better for them and would have strengthened them وَإِذَا لَآتَيْنَاهُمْ مِنْ لَدُنَّا أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Whereupon we would indeed grant them from us a mighty reward and وَلَهَدَيْنَاهُمْ صِرَاطًا مُسْتَقِيمًا Guide them to a straight way وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ فَأُولَئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ فَأُولَئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ He who obeys Allah and the Messenger, such shall be with those whom Allah has favored, the prophets, those steadfast in truthfulness, the martyrs, and the righteous. How excellent will they be for companions, the martyrs, and the righteous. This means that in the hereafter, they will be in the company of those blessed people. It does not mean, however, that any of them can ever attain the office of a prophet by virtue of his righteous deeds. That is a bounty from Allah, and Allah suffices to know the truth. Believers, be ever prepared to encounter the enemy. Either advance in detachments or advance in one body, as the circumstance demands. As the circumstance demands. This discourse was revealed after the Battle of Ohud when the tribes living around Medina had been greatly emboldened by the defeat of the Muslims. Among you there is such who lags behind. Then, if some affliction strikes you, he says, Indeed, Allah bestowed His favor upon me, that I was not present with them. وَلَئِنْ أَصَابَكُمْ فَضْلٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لَيَقُولَنَّكَ أَلَّمْ تَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُ مَوَدَّةٌ يَا لَيْتَنِي كُنْتُ مَعَهُمْ يَا لَيْتَنِي كُنْتُ مَعَهُمْ فَأَفُوزَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا 
And if a bounty from Allah is given you, He says, and says as if there never was any affection between you and Him, Oh, would that I had been with them, I would have come by a great gain. Let those who seek the life of the next world in exchange for the life of this world fight in the way of Allah. We shall grant a mighty reward to whoever fights in the way of Allah, whether he is slain or comes out victorious. وَمَا لَكُمْ لَا تُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالْمُسْتَضْعَفِينَ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ وَالنِّسَاءِ وَالْوِلْدَانِ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا مِنْ هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ الظَّالِمِ أَهْلُهَا وَاجْعَلْ لَنَا وَجَعَلْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ وَلِيًّا وَجَعَلْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ نَصِيرًا How is it that you do not fight in the way of Allah and in support of the helpless, men, women, and children who pray, Our Lord, bring us out of this land whose people are oppressors and appoint for us from yourself a protector and appoint for us from yourself a helper. and appoint for us from yourself a helper. This refers to those wronged and persecuted men, women, and children of Makkah and of other tribes in Arabia who had embraced Islam, but were unable either to emigrate or to protect themselves from the wrongs to which they were subjected. These helpless people suffered many kinds of persecution and prayed to God to deliver them from their miserable state. الذين آمنوا يقاتلون في سبيل الله والذين كفروا يقاتلون في سبيل الطاغوت فقاتلوا أولياء الشيطان إن كيد الشيطان كان ضعيفا Those who have faith fight in the way of Allah, while those who disbelieve fight in the way of Tahut, Satan. Fight then against the fellows of Satan. Surely, Satan's strategy is weak.